You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I am your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, would you say that Aaron Norton is the next Gary Ablett or Wayne Carey? Uh, I'd say he's the next Brett Spinks. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I think he, I think he's going to be in the league for another year, and then we'll see what happens. But hey, by the way, shout out to the. I think it was the Adelaide Advertiser that had the Norton 12 uh, headline today for their sports page. Obviously, Adelaide now 0-12 and 12 on the season. I was I was very, very impressed with that. You know I'm a big fan of punch. That is, a, that, is a, that is a good headline. They were, uh, they were bad once again, and they, uh, they are not winning a game this season. I just I, I don't see how it's happening. No, look, they blew their opportunity. They had a real chance uh, over these last couple of weeks. And, you know, even the Collingwood game, they were right in there. There was a couple of other games where they had their shot. And it feels like maybe that's taken the wind out of their sails. I mean, they started really well yesterday, and but you you didn't really think that that attacking style of footy was going to serve them well. You did think that eventually, whether it was through turnovers or it was just you know, simply a lack of skill, that the Bulldogs were going to run all over them, and they did. But, hey, for the doggies, listen, we, we've spoken about their uh, lack of ability to kick goals, and they're not the only team that struggled with that. And I think what you saw from Norton yesterday tells you, even though it's against Adelaide, it does tell you what it are, a couple of the other teams in the league are, are really struggling for up for. Yeah, and that's one of the... Look, Norton's been missing for big chunks of this season for the Bulldogs as well. This is his second game back, I believe, after his uh, after his ankle injury, maybe his third game back. But that is a, a big uh, a big thing to have him up there working unencumbered. There was no Josh Bruce this week as well. See how those guys can work together. But it was uh, it was big. For the Bulldogs to get that uh, get that victory, because we've talked about how important it is around that eighth spot. Melbourne with a huge win as well. They move into the eight. And, of course, the two teams uh, who were hanging on to seven and eight, uh, Collingwood and the Giants, with some dispiriting losses. And also, uh, Essendon didn't put up too much of a fight. No, I'm... My prediction for the top eight, I'm not buying Melbourne yet. I want to talk about them a little bit a bit tomorrow, but they've beaten Adelaide and North Melbourne and now Collingwood in this three-game winning streak. So much like the Bulldogs yesterday, I'm not giving them a lot of credit for that win over the Crows, and I'm not giving the Demons a lot of credit yet because Collingwood, uh, for mine, we'll get to them a little bit later in this episode, but uh, we've been speaking about them for the last few weeks. This has been coming for quite a while for them, and and, and you know, to be honest, I wasn't totally shocked with the way it played out. But what about the Blues? Because we, we spoke about the Fremantle-Carlton game as last chance for both teams. I think we thought, based on what we've seen during the season, that yeah, probably Carlton are the only team out of those two that would make the eight or could make a push for the eight. They've still got a game in hand on a, a number of the teams that are in the eights, and they're only out by a game now. Their percentage is awful, which is going to hurt them. They've got a bunch of winnable games down the stretch here, so it's basically in their own hands. But just what, what did you think as you were watching the last 30 seconds? Everyone's spoken about it, but what, what did you think about the eventual game winner for Noons? Um, obviously, it was you know, packed with drama. It was a great kick. I'm, yeah, the, so much, oh, I shouldn't have been him taking the kick. I actually mm. don't care. Like I, mm. I, 
I, I don't know why we are so pedantic in this sport about who has closest has to take the kick. In soccer, if there's a free kick, the person who takes the free kicks takes the free kicks, like the person who's good at it. In basketball, you get a foul, it goes, it goes out of bounds, side ball. Someone else takes the, the side ball. Like it doesn't have to be... I don't know why we're so... And it's not an easy thing. Like in the moment, the umpire's got to be paying attention to what's happening with the free kick and who's the closest player there. Like it's not easy to do in real time. Like we can all see because we've got a bird's eye view. We're not down there literally yeah, in amongst a, a tower of giant men running around. I don't know why it has to be so pedantic about the closest player's got to take this kick. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I wouldn't care if that changed down the line. But I mean, certainly for now, that's what it's supposed to be. So that was clearly a mistake. And I, I didn't think it was downfield anyway. But... Ultimately, Carlton, I mean, I tweeted about it during that game uh, when they, there was a couple of goals that went against them for pretty soft free kicks. I said, geez, the Carlton fans would not be happy with the umpire in, in Western Australia over the last two weeks. And then I tell you what, this <laughs> evened up quickly throughout the game. The Blues got a couple of goals through. Uh, one of them was a blatant rugby throw from Paddy Cripps, who was throwing the ball the entire game. And the umpires just said, go for it, Paddy. You're happy. You can throw the ball. You're a big man. We're fine with that. And Carlton got goals out of that and then the way it ended. So I would say that, you know, all things considered, after what the Blues have been through, they were owed a couple and they, they got them back with interest in the second half and they end up winning the game that uh, keeps them in the mix. And they're the king of close games, the Blues. If you're a Carlton fan, uh, your stress levels are probably pretty high this season. What do you make of that game that totaled 76 points um, but had a finish like that? Like, is that footy's dead, what's wrong with this game, or what an exciting finish. Like, where, where does it sit on the overreactionary meter? Well, it was slippery. There was, a, there was a bit of rain, which made it difficult. I don't think it was... It wasn't quite Geelong, Fremantle, wet weather footy um, from a couple of weeks ago, but it, it was wet, and I think that generally we had two teams that were having a, a red-hot crack, though. Luke Ryan, again, uh, is another guy I've got Mark to talk about through the week. I think he almost single-handedly kept... Uh, Fremantle in the game in the second half. It was interesting that I was watching first crack last night on Fox Footy and Lee Montagna sort of had the opinion that, you know, Fremantle could have done things differently in this game. And I, I think he's he's probably right. I mean, this is where Fremantle's at. He pointed to the fact that through the second half, Fremantle stuck with Sarong and they stuck with Chera and they stuck with the young guys in the middle while Carlton went Murphy Cripps and Kerno and went all out to win the game. And I think there's something in that. I mean, I, I don't think ultimately this hurts Fremantle. I don't think they were going to play finals footy anyway, but they continue to play uh, attacking footy with the young fellas through the midfield. They're playing five still, a lot in the forward line. Monday, uh, likewise. I like the I like the way Freo are going, but certainly this felt like a game that Carlton needed more. And I, I thought it was fine. It was a battle. I mean, it wasn't the most beautiful football, but it was a battle and two teams were having a crack. Yeah, we've talked about that all year. Like, so many people are decrying a lack of goals, but you know, a lot of goals doesn't necessarily mean a good game all the time. And you know, close, tight fought games with goals after the siren ends up with a pretty good result. And Carlton needed that win. And I think I agree, I agree with you that this is one Carlton needed and Fremantle would have liked it, but. It's not their number one focus at this point. It is getting the development minutes and in game time and positional time into those young guys. And while it's a loss, it probably is a long-term win for them as well. So can Carlton make a push? A huge game next week against Gold Coast. Uh, we're going to talk about Gold Coast and Richmond later on here before they play tonight. So again, we talked about last chances. Last chance for the Suns tonight against the Tigers. It's going to be a pretty difficult one. But these are the types of matchups in the next few weeks that you're going to see that are, that are going to swing this potential uh, to slip into the 7th or 8th position. I, I do still think that the Giants, uh, even though they've got West Coast this week, which isn't going to be easy, I do I do like their chances. They've got too much talent. They're going to sneak back in there and the Pies 
I don't know. I think they're going to stumble into the eight. But the Blues, uh, where are they at? Are they going to make the finals in 2020? Do you want to make that call? Uh, no, no, they, they won't make the finals. I'm pretty... I'm, I was going to say I'm pretty confident with it, but I'm not. Uh, I, no, I don't. I don't think they will. I, I think I, I still made. I made the case that I thought the Bulldogs could push in. They get the win this week. They're keeping themselves alive. I, I think they can maybe. Maybe they can grab uh, Collingwood as well because Collingwood's trajectory is not heading upwards at this point. Yeah, we'll see them, doggies, Josh. We'll, yeah, we'll see. see. I, they. Uh... The Bulldogs have got an interesting they're... run home here, actually. Not to make it too Bulldog centric, but they've got to take on Geelong and West Coast. Which is not yeah. good, but they also have uh, they also have Fremantle and Hawthorne uh, coming up. So with the, with next week's massive game against Melbourne, the the one in the middle, that that's which is going to be probably the decider for at least that you know to be in that seven eight nine group. So I was going to talk about Geelong a little bit here, but maybe we can hold that off. I mean, the beauty of this week is we don't have footy every single day, so maybe we can get to the Cats a little bit later in the week. But how do you feel about going to under pressure? Sounds good to me. So, Kane, how would uh, how would you feel if you were the Collingwood list manager at this point? Well, I'd be thinking I've got to get busy this summer because, again, uh, we saw and we spoke about it. The injury list for Collingwood is extensive. There's no doubt about that. They got Scott Penelbury back on the weekend. They've still got Brody Grundy. They got Jamie Elliott back up forward, and they were just awful again. And you know, they've really benefited from having a soft schedule the last few weeks because you can imagine with what you saw from that Melbourne game, if they didn't play Adelaide, if they didn't play Sydney, who, look, Sydney were fantastic against GWS, there's no doubt about it, but Collingwood really were trying their hardest to lose that game against the Swans. If they had played actual competitive teams, uh, I think they'd be well and truly out of the eight and they'd be in big, big trouble this season. And again on the weekend... You knew the game was over. As soon as the, uh, Melbourne got to 10 goals at half time and they were up by 30 points, forget the margin. You knew the game was over simply because Collingwood can't possibly kick that high a score. They're averaging 55 points per game on the season, which is just absolutely atrocious. And if you're the list, list manager for the Pies, you've got to get this team forward. And you've got to get him a, a genuine target up forward because right now the, the little guys just are not getting it done. And they, they dropped uh, Jaden Stevenson on the weekend. He was a guy that they've relied on in the past, we can talk about Dugowie all you want, but he's still not a marking target that they know will actually give them a chance up forward. They, they need someone tall. And I don't know. I've spoken about Darcy Cameron a little bit that he's shown something. He actually leads uh, he leads the Pies with contested marks with 14 on the season, which is remarkable because he's hardly, hardly played. And maybe he is an answer. I don't know. But uh, they need to do something because this forward line is absolutely toothless. It is, uh, and I don't know what that solution is because you obviously you can't just go and draft a key forward and expect them to come in and contribute. It's got to be something that you attack via trade or, or free agency. And sometimes you know find, those guys who are in a high level position often aren't moving. You have to get guys who maybe are struggling and try and reinvigorate them. It's a, it's not an easy thing to just unearth uh, a key forward who's going to come in and well here we are. I'm kicking forty goals for you next season. It's not an easy thing to find. And Collingwood's going to find themselves in that position of trying to, trying to do that. And I think Cameron probably is more of a more of a ruckman than a key, the key forward. Um, but yeah, maybe he works in there. But I, I wouldn't feel comfortable with he is our number one forward target you know, for the next three four years. I don't I don't think I'd feel comfortable with that. But they yeah, they've got a lot to do. There's just so much that isn't working with this team. And I while you say you know, list manager getting a key forward, I think that it's getting 
different some different players into the midfield. Yes, Sidebottom and Pendlebury are there, but we talk about the Adams and the Trelaws, like just the guys who, who don't dispose of it well, who get clearances but don't have that uh, outside talent. And Pendlebury and Sidebottom are not young. They're not going to be around forever. So who's that? Who's those guys that come in to be that skillful outside-inside type player versus just the bull who gets the ball and kicks knuckleballs forward all the time? Because that, that impacts your forward line play as well. It does, but Penelbury and, and Sidebottom, the fact that they're nearing the end is the reason why they need to move now because That's true. you want to win a flag while you have those guys because, for me, I'm still probably going to look at Collingwood. I, I don't think that they can possibly win the flag this season because I don't think they can kick a, a score. I, I think we've seen enough footy this year to see they can't kick a score. I don't think they can win the flag, but I would still have them in the top six teams next year going in if everyone's healthy and maybe they just get that tall forward. And, and I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen... You know, names like Jeremy Cameron thrown around. He's a, kind of a, a lead-up player anyway. I'm not sure. I just think that they need to have someone that they can try and get in a one-on-one situation and put the ball on his head. And I, I look at the other premiership contenders around the league and uh, contested marks, obviously Charlie Dixon with Port Adelaide, he's their target. And you could say that they're maybe they're a little bit one-dimensional, but Dixon's still their target. 35 contested marks in the season. The Cats, 22 with Hawkins. And then the Tigers... 16 for Lynch and 13 for Rewald. So all the top teams have a target that they kick to uh, for the Lions. Obviously, they've got Hipwood coming through the ranks. They have McStay down there as well. The Pies, uh, they don't have anyone to kick to. And you can say what you want about the ball use, and we've spoke about that. I do think they are a little bit one-dimensional through the middle. But they have to be perfect when they're kicking the ball in the forward line because they don't have a target to kick to. And Mark... uh, I wish I knew his Twitter handle off the top of my head. I think it's like Mark K. Hoops or something like that. Yeah, He's a Bulls yeah. fan. So, by the way, the fact that Collingwood lost would not affect him because the Bulls fired Jim Boylan. So, it was a successful weekend <laughs> no matter what happened uh, for Mark. But he commented on something because I tweeted and asked, what's the problem with Collingwood? Who gets the blame here? And he did say that the forward line was okay when the, the intense forward line pressure was there. And we all remember that. When Collingwood are at their best, you can't even get rid of the football. You don't have time to get rid of the football, particularly in the back 50. So, I had a look at tackles inside 50. Uh, Jamie Elliott leads Collingwood for tackles inside 50 with 12. He's the only player with 10-plus tackles inside 50. Brisbane have six of those players. Port Adelaide have four of those players with 10-plus. So it gives you an idea of how far off the mark they are. And yes, there's been players in and out of the team, and that clearly affects that. But uh, not only do they not have a target to kick to, their forward line pressure is nowhere, uh, nowhere near where it has been in the past. Well, this takes me over to my under-pressure um, topic for the week. But... We did hear news that maybe Joe Danaher is returning to action. Could he be that forward that they look for? That if he is actually playing, could he be that guy that they go after? Uh, possibly, but I, I think the whole point of Danaher wanting to leave Essendon was to get out of Melbourne. But, I mean, I, you could only go by the rumours. And, and that was Tom Brown that said that uh, <laughs> Joe Danaher might play in a very, very near future. So we'll take that one with a grain of salt. But what I want to look at is Essendon, and we know they've got this coaching succession plan with John Worsfold and Ben Rutten trying to transition, and even Worsfold himself has admitted that it hasn't gone, um, I wouldn't say well, but hasn't gone to the degree as well as he would have hoped with still ironing out some kinks. So Essendon, I remember when they beat Collingwood? Oh my God, Essendon, they're going to push to the top four. They're, they're dominating. This is this is their real chance. And they have been bad since. And they were bad again against St. Kilda, losing by you know, 35 points against the Saints team that was a little bit wobbly after their, their game against Geelong. So where is this succession plan going? You can't back out of it. You can't say, well, at the end of the year, actually, we might just do another coaching search and yeah, truck, you, you're not you're not in the, in the mix for the, the, the job here. Is this... 
there's a way this has gone, something that maybe scares other teams away from it. We, we know we had the, the Buckley Malthouse situation in years gone by. And while on field it may have worked okay, it didn't it wasn't it wasn't pretty. Uh, you know, one guy being forced out to, to take over. So is this the another one of those succession plans where it's just it's maybe it's just not something that works in footy? Yeah, I think it definitely complicates things. And I think, you know, with Essendon you've seen a bit of John Walsfold doing media, a little bit of Ben Rutten doing media. I don't think you know anyone really knows who who is who is running the show here. I think for the most part it's probably Ben Rutten. And I, I don't mind the idea of having a guy there that can help Ben Rutten ease into the role. I guess the biggest question is whether Walsfold really wants to go because if he if he doesn't, and we saw that with Collingwood, it can derail the club for a few years because this season you've just got two guys sort of pushing against each other. So I guess we'll never really know uh, what the situation is there. But yesterday's game, you mentioned St Kilda that, uh, you know, they were under the pump a little bit after what happened on Monday night against Geelong. And I think you found out very quickly in the first five, ten minutes that it was going to be a cakewalk for them because the defensive pressure that we saw uh, with Geelong just was not there. Essendon were not capable of, of playing that style of football that they didn't have the defensive structure that the Cats have. Interestingly enough that uh, Essendon actually led the disposals in this game. They had a very high handball uh, number, high, high handball count as opposed to kicks. And the disposal efficiency on the day was 76.9%, but they went at... 20% going inside 50, Essendon. 20%. I mean, you, you're just not going to win a game if you're going inside 50 at 20%. Their season average is 41.8. So it was it was an absolute disaster from Essendon. Yeah, and they are they're, they're really sort of just continuing to, to roll backwards, it feels. And they get out with that, that draw against Gold Coast last week and then really you know, not not really even all that competitive here against St. Kilda. It was, it was done at halftime, this game. Um yeah, so I, I just don't know what what this means for, and I, I'm I'm 100 percent sure they could have handled this succession better. I don't know what the best way is 100, percent but I think if you're going to do it, then you've got to you've got to push Rutten into that primary role more rather than like this guy's sort of our coach, but not really. Worsfold's got to take a step back and maybe be like a, a forward line coach or a defensive coach or something for the year. If that's exactly if that's truly what he wants to do, otherwise it just leads to. And and if you're you and me here saying, well, we don't know which one is doing what and where's Worsfold and, and he's Rutten in charge. Like there's got to be a, to a lesser degree, but there's got to be a bit of that confusion with the players as well. So, I mean, to me, it's just confusing. I've always thought this with coaching searches is that you plan a year in advance who's going to coach the team at the end of the season. It's always been strange to me, uh, particularly when you lock yourself into someone from within the club. Uh, you know, if if you think that John Walsfold is done, or you th- or he wants to step aside, or I think he or he thinks he's got everything he can out of the club, uh, why aren't you having a coaching search at the end of uh, the season and seeing who's out there, seeing what ideas are out there, what could fit with the club? It's never really made sense to me to lock in a coach. Uh, you know, 12 months in advance or even longer in some instances is going to take over because you know, the reality is you don't know where the club's going to be there. You don't know the direction the club's in. And maybe you just simply don't like uh, some of the ideas that are coming through from the guy that you've you've said is going to be the successor. So that's strange, really strange to me. Across all sports, we've seen it a few times and it's it never makes a lot of sense to me. Oh, the other one that happened in the AFL as well is uh, the Paul Ruse, Simon Goodwin one yeah, uh, Goodwin, yeah. At, at Melbourne and, you yeah. Melbourne's uh, had some ups and downs. Let's let's be honest. I think well, I think uh, a lot of the times you get fans that, that want to keep uh, the the other guy. So we saw that with Collingwood, no doubt with Malthouse. Yeah, there probably would have been a high percentage of Melbourne fans that wanted to keep Ruzi around. So uh, yeah, 
it's it's tough. It's an interesting situation they find themselves in. But uh, you know, we had Vicini on the podcast last week. I saw his Twitter feed over the weekend. He was uh, pulling his hair out. He was uh, he was not enjoying what he was seeing. And you wouldn't be if you're an Essendon fan. You just wouldn't be. You wouldn't know uh, what to expect or or what's what's going to come next. I mean, they they seem to be spiraling a little bit here. They've got Richmond next week, so it doesn't get any easier. No, that uh, that that could be an ugly one. But speaking of Richmond, Kane. We do have a game on tonight. It is Richmond. They are taking on the Gold Coast Suns. Richmond currently sitting in sixth, but a win here keeps them in sixth. So it doesn't actually doesn't actually move them there, which is a little bit weird to see them there, considering how powerful they've, they've looked over the last four or five weeks. Whereas this is Gold Coast's absolute last opportunity, and I just don't think that they're going to be able to get that done. But what, what are we looking at here in this game tonight? Well, let me just say, first of all, we've spent a lot of time talking about the eighth position. Uh, last week, we mentioned how important top four were going to be. Uh, again, you know, for all these teams, whether it's St. Kilda yesterday against Essendon, whether it's Richmond tonight against the Gold Coast, uh, you know, West Coast last night against Hawthorne, you just you can't afford to slip one. You can't afford to drop one that you, that, uh, you need to win if you want to finish top four because, again, I, I think it's going to be extremely uh, tight and important that these teams get top four. So it's a must-win for Richmond. But the thing I want to look at is Gold Coast's ability to win uncontested footy. So last week against Essendon, they were completely monstered. And, it, you know, it's funny that they were able to even scrap a, a draw out of this game with the Bombers, but they were minus 70 in disposals, but minus 63 in uncontested possessions. And if you look at some of their uh, major ball winners and their key players, so Hugh Greenwood, we know that he's a contested ball player, but 13 contested possessions, only five uncontested. Swallow went eight and five, uh, took Miller seven and five, so those three guys, three of your key on-ball uh, movers, and guys that, you know, particularly with Swallow and Miller, you don't mind if they're finishing the playoff, but their their ratio was well in favor of contested footy. And then uh, Isaac Rankin, who we know that he, there's going to be a lot of attention up him uh, as a small forward. So it's a little bit different, but, but 10 contested possessions, four uncontested. So for mine, they just need to find a way to get that easy footy and open it up a little bit because they have got a number of guys that have got beautiful skills, but at the moment, they're doing it tough. They're doing it really, really tough. And they are a young team, and perhaps there's a little bit of fatigue coming in there, but they look really good when they get on the outside. They've just got to find a way to do that. They're 16th in the league overall for uncontested footy. And, you know, it, <laughs> that's going to be a challenge against the Tigers, particularly if they bring the pressure that they bring. The Richmond have had over a week off now, so they're going to be feeling fresh after that game against Port Adelaide that was on a four-day break. So it's going to be really tough, but that's the key for mine. Uh, Gold Coast have to try not to get completely dominated in uncontested footy. Yeah, and I think that ties into what I was going to talk about with this game as well, and that is disposal efficiency because one team's going at 68 on the year, and that's Gold Coast, and Richmond goes at 73, and that's some of that is because you are you know, so much you're getting so much fewer uncontesteds, and you're getting in for those contested balls, and again, even an uncontested ball that's just getting the possession or a contested ball. You don't know how effective that is, and looking at that. That's a big discrepancy. You know, five percentage points in disposal efficiency. That is going to create a problem, especially uh, when you're not even you're not able to get out as much as, as what the other team is. And I'm not sure what the the solution. Like, of course, Matty Rowe's gone, but he's the contestant guy, contested guy more than uncontested. I think it's more getting guys like these. You talk about these players with these skills, 
Anderson, Lacocious, two names that really come to mind on top of the, the Millers and the Swallows. But maybe they've just got to get in and get a little bit more midfield time to, to be those uncontested players. To They can run, they can deliver the ball at a high level and try and get on the end of it, whereas Lacocious is playing almost exclusively halfback. Anderson sort of in and out of the midfield. But maybe we just need a little bit more time from those guys in the midfield to try and hit these targets at a higher rate. But of course, being yeah, first and second year players, there are going to be ups and downs there. But I think that, that that level of disposal efficiency difference between the two teams is probably going to be pretty telling in the end. Yeah, it's interesting. The one guy that the Gold Coast have that continues to win uncontested ball and find his way on the outside is Brandon Alice, who, you know, obviously a former Tiger. And last week he was, as I said, the only son that was able to find that that easy footy. But if you look on the season, contested possessions, the Suns are actually plus 11 per game on the Tigers and then they're minus 12 uh, in uncontested footy, which is exactly what we're talking about here. The thing that scares me a little bit for Gold Coast, uh, you know, like every team that plays Richmond, but particularly a younger team, that you're just not really sure what the matchup is going to be. Dusty Martin, I mean, my goodness. We saw what he did a couple of weeks ago uh, when he had that, uh, I think, 180-plus super coach points. He was just an absolute menace to kick that goal from the boundary line. Who's going to play on Dusty? Because this could be simply enough to carry Richmond to victory here because uh, he's been in some pretty damn good form. Do they just throw Greenwood on him and try and just you know, muscle him out of the... out of the? Um, not that you can really muscle him out, but put just a, a bigger, harder body on him in the middle to try and you know, stop him winning the ball uh, around those clearances? But that's not really all of Dusty's game. We know that he, he's in there for the center clearances, but then he doesn't always hover around all the stoppages. He tries to get out the back to be that link guy and to be around half forward. He's not always you know, being that stoppage guy in round-the-ground stoppages. So I'm not sure that's necessarily going to work with him. And then what do you do? Do you, could you throw Brandon Ellis that way, former teammate, maybe getting his head that way? I don't, I don't really know what the answer is. Yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, I think that this is a game, like I said, they've had an extended break with Tigers, but I do think this is a game where you're going to see Dusty play a lot up forward. I, I think Richmond would back themselves in in the midfield with Bolton, who's been, you know, after a slow start, has really bounced back hard. He's had a fantastic season. Cochin is back for a couple of games now, so he's working back into it. So they've got so many guys that can throw through the middle. I think that this is a game where... Dusty looms large at kicking five or six, I reckon. And I, I don't know who does play on him. Is it is it Jack Bowes? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, do you maybe. do you put a do you put a taller guy on him? I, I don't. I honestly have no idea. This is really scary for for Gold Coast. I mean, it's scary for everyone, but it just feels like Gold Coast are, are ripe for the picking here. Yeah, and they, uh, Gold Coast also have no Harbrow, no Swallow. They've both been managed this week, uh, while Sean Lemons was omitted. And uh, your mate Derek Smith also gets uh, gets the chop for Richmond. Stiff, stiff. Yes, uh, so he's out. We've got Graham, Markov, and Cochin returning. And big Alex Sexton back for Gold Coast. It is going to be an interesting game. This is, you'd think, you'd think Richmond gets it to keep themselves in that mix for the top four. If they win this, the top four gets a little bit harder for Richmond to get into because they're going to be you know, six six points back, um, which is only two, two wins, but that's assuming that everyone else above you continue, loses those two games out of the, the final five, which is not a guarantee by any means. So they really need this one. And I think they'll be able to get over the line here. Kane, anything else you want to talk about with tonight's game? No, just final on, on the top four. As I said, it's going to continue to take shape here. These games where teams are playing each other are going to be huge. Brisbane and St. Kilda this weekend. I mean, goodness. <laughs> Brisbane snuck over the line. We can talk Ooh. about them. They snuck over the line against North Melbourne, and that is just critical for them holding on to this top four spot. So Brisbane, St. Kilda is really going to start to shape that top four. If Brisbane get the win, St. Kilda are well and truly on the outer and then in a couple of weeks, we've got Geelong and Richmond as well. So anytime these top four teams are playing each other, uh, they could swing who gets that double chance. 
Absolutely. Uh, looking forward to the game tonight and then a little bit of time off from footy over the course of this week. Guys, don't forget, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher and on Spotify. Give us a five-star review. Kane, thank you again. Yep, catch you tomorrow. Guys, I'm going to leave you today with a shout-out to Mark Bickley.